The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, New Covenant Community Church. How's everybody today? Good to be here in God's house. You know, the longer, the longer I am a Christian, the more I just feel that I would rather be in God's house than anything else. You could give me all the money in Lincoln County, and I just think I'd rather be in God's house. There's just there's nothing like doing His work in His house with God's people. I love it. Let's pray together. Father, You have been immeasurably good to us. What a gracious gift that you've given us, even today, to be in a safe, comfortable place to worship you, where we can have copies of your word in our laps before us, every single one of us, to to learn, to pray, to magnify who it is that you are and what it is that you've done for us, and the free gift of salvation that is free to us because it was paid for on Calvary with the price of your blood. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. If you could rewind time. None of us can do that. It would be kind of neat if we could, I'm sure. But if you could rewind time, 1,900, I'm going to make sure I give you the right numbers here, 1,955 years ago, specifically to the night of July the 19th, if you could rewind all those years ago and put yourself in the city of Rome, you could have been... It's good weather in Rome that time of year, very nice, between 60 and 80 degrees, very comfortable. And you could have been hanging around the Chariot Stadium in Rome. And there were all these shops, kind of like there are in stadiums today. There's little places to eat and little places where you can buy, or not buy and sell, but buy certain things, little shops and whatnot that are outside stadiums. And uh, it was the same in those days. And you could be hanging out by those little shops, and and all of a sudden, on that specific date, on July 19th of, this would put us at 64 AD, uh, you could hear commotion around some of these shops. And just a little bit later, you could see the flames and smell the smoke of, of a fire that broke out on these, in these shops around the stadium. And this fire very quickly got out of hand. It spread from one shop to the next, and then the stadium, and then a building, and then the next building, and the next building. And Long story short, this fire went for the period of six days before it died down just a little bit. They thought they had it under control until it flared back up later and burned for another three days. And by the time the fire had completed burning for a total of nine days, it had destroyed two-thirds of the entire city of Rome. And, And any good history book will tell you that. You could go to the library right now, And you could rent a book that would tell you about the Roman history and you could tell about these fires, the fires in Rome of 64 AD and how they burned for nine days and destroyed so much of the city. And and the the emperor at at this time was Emperor Nero. And as some of you may know, he was very vicious towards Christians. He, He persecuted and murdered many of them. And during this time in the Roman Empire, the, the culture was breaking. It, 
actually looked much like our culture does today. Uh, sexual immorality running rampant, dishonesty, distrust, a dislove for God. It looked very much like our culture today. And, and the culture was essentially breaking down underneath the rule of Nero. And so things didn't get any better for him when two-thirds of the city burns. And he already hated Christians, so what does he do? He blames the Christians. And, uh, and, and most good history books will include even that piece, that the Christians were blamed for these fires, even though no one really knows why they burned. But what the good history books won't tell you is that the book of 1 Peter was actually written to the Christians in this area who were suffering great persecution under the emperor, and it was God's gracious reminder of hope to these suffering Christians. The book of 1 Peter. Isn't that something? Isn't that interesting? So if you have a Bible, I invite you to go to the book of 1 Peter. It's not a huge book, so if it's difficult to find, it can be easier to find if you start in the end of your Bible at the book of Revelation and then go backwards to Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Peter. The persecution that the Christians were suffering in those days was very similar to the persecutions that Christians suffer in different places of the world today. Sudan, Vietnam, Nigeria, China, North Korea, many other places that suffer great persecution where you can be thrown in prison and sometimes even killed because of your faith if you are to be seen with the Bible. Very similar. And you say, Pastor Ben, why does that matter for us? The United States doesn't look like that. At least it doesn't yet. Why, why do we care about that in today's world, in 2019, sitting in Johnstown, country farm town, Johnstown, Ohio? Well, at the very least, we want to be obedient to Scripture. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. So what the Bible tells us is that if they're Christians, if there's other members of the body of Christ that we are in, if they're suffering, remember them as if you're chained with them. The church in America does a very poor job of that, and I want us to be mindful of that, that if there are Christians suffering in Vietnam, let us remember them and pray for them as if it were our own family, because it is our own family. And furthermore, we learn some just incredible things about God, about ourselves, and if it should ever come, church, that in our day, in the day in which all of us are alive, that persecution were to come United States soil, you and I will be ready based on the hope that we learn in the book of 1 Peter. So if you're there, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, we read, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Now, Peter could have written it, or God rather, God writing this scripture through Peter. Uh, Peter's the one penning it, but God is using him. All scripture is inspired by God. These are God's word to us that God used Peter to write. It could have gone something like this. It could have said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Hi. <laughs> Greetings. Hello. But it doesn't say that. It immediately goes into elect is who you are. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, you're sanctified by the Holy Spirit for the obedience of, of obeying God and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, having been washed, grace to you and peace 
be multiplied. So the first thing, and I'll list six things that we pull out from Scripture of what it means for us today, is that who you are in God is hope. Who you are in God is hope. Before Peter goes on to anything, before God uses Peter to tell these people, these suffering Christians, about anything else, is to remember who it is that you are. You're a safe people. Yes, you're suffering great persecution under Nero and you're, you're suffering great things. Maybe perhaps some of your family members have been murdered because of their faith and been seen with the Bible. But don't forget who it is that you belong to and who it is that you are. God knows that He has saved you. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you that's calling you out and drawing you out and calling you to be more like Christ. You're obedient to God because you've been washed by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ from your former sins. Don't forget who it, are, who it is that you are. Who you are in God is hope. Many of you know, as I've shared meals with you and gotten to know many of you, that when I was a teenager, I bought and sold horses. And uh, I loved doing it. I, even before I could drive, my dad would we'd load up the trailer, or we'd take an empty trailer and then bring it back loaded up full of horses. And I would train them. I, would, I could do farrier work. I did blacksmith work so I could fix their feet. I could put them out to pasture, let them fatten up, put about 60 or 90 days training on them, and then I could sell them to families that wanted a pet or kids that wanted 4-H horses, those types of things, and I loved doing that. And undoubtedly, when you were at these horse auctions, there were really, I mean, whole tons of different kinds of breeds of horses and ages and sizes and colors. But really, when you broke it down into two categories, there's only two types, really. Uh, there were the unregistered, which is what we would know as like a mutt, a mutt dog that's not registered. There's no lineage. There's no background. And there were mutt horses. There were unregistered horses. And a, and a poor conditioned horse that was unregistered, I could buy for maybe two or $300. And usually it was guys like me buying horses like this, or it was also uh, meat buyers. I don't know how you feel about this, but during, those during that time, uh, the meat market in America for horses had shut down, but people from Canada were driving to America to buy horses and to take them up for the meat market, and they were buying them also. And, and they would go for very, uh, very affordable price, very inexpensively. But if it was a registered horse... If it was a purebred registered horse, you knew who the mother and father of that horse was and, and you know the lineage and you know who that horse was based on who it is that they were because of their registration. Even if it was a poor conditioned animal, that horse would never go to the meat market because even in, a, even in the poorest, skinny, hooves overgrown, beat up by other horses, no matter what this animal looked like, because you knew who it was, that animal would go for at least $1,000. And what I'm telling you this morning, church, and what I believe that Peter, what God was using Peter to tell these people who were suffering under the Emperor Nero at this time was that because of it is that who you are, if, if you're a child of God, if you have faith and, and you're a child of God, the royal blood of heaven is flowing through your veins. Who you are in God is hope. Let us never forget that, who we are in the Lord. Look now to verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy... I want everyone to shout those two words with me. Abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, the word hope 
or inheritance here are used interchangeably. It's the same thing. And before I even begin, begin and continue on, somebody tell me, it's many things, but somebody tell me what our hope or inheritance is. It's many, many things. I don't think there's a wrong answer to this. I mean, there is a wrong answer, but there's a whole lot of right ones. So tell me, what is our hope? What is our inheritance? Somebody tell me. Eternal life. What else? Think of it. What, what is our hope and our inheritance? If you are a child of God this morning and you pull out on a 62 and you don't make it home alive, what is your hope or inheritance? Many things. What are they? Get to see Jesus. Get to be with our Lord and our Master and our Savior. Well, I'm pretty excited that there's going to be no sickness or disease. That's a cool one. What else? What? No cancer. No, no death. No disease. Yes, our hope is our inheritance. Number two, if you're taking notes, the hope we have is according to God's abundant mercy. The hope or inheritance that we have is according to God's abundant mercy. So therefore, the cross, resurrection, being adopted into God's kingdom, being redeemed from our sin, being forgiven of our sin, being the righteousness of God in Christ, being able to go to heaven, all of these things, all the things that we look forward to as children of God with no cancer, being with Jesus, all of those things are according to God's abundant mercy. You never could earn it. We, not, we are not doing it today. We are not earning those things that God has given to us as His children. And we will never, ever, ever be able to earn or deserve any of those things. Ever. Those things are of and because of God's abundant mercy. Let us never get over that. Abundant mercy. The same abundant mercy that God was giving these Christians that were being persecuted under the rule of Nero is the same abundant mercy that God has given us today if we are His believers. There's not this difference between all those Christians back then and Christians today. It's the same abundant mercy that God extends to us today if we believe and have faith in Him. Number three, our hope or inheritance undoes all works of evil. Our hope or inheritance undoes all works of evil. And you say, Pastor Ben, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. Undoubtedly, when Jesus was on earth, the devil wanted him dead. It's no surprise that through the schemes and lies and deception that the crucifixion of Christ was brought about. We also know that the, 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 the wages of sin is death, okay? Death, lying, deception, these are all things that are brought about and brought on by our sin through the devil. But we know that Jesus did not stay in that grave. Praise be unto God for that. And Colossians 3.1 says, since you are raised with Christ. So when Christ was raised out of the grave, if we have faith in Him, it was as if we raised out of that grave. You and I are sinners, your pastor included. We are all sinners. Christ, we know, it was not a sinner. So when He raised out of that grave, it was as if you and I, in, an un, a total, in the absence of sin, raised to life with Christ. So what I'm saying is that the work of deadness and death and cancer and all the things that have their impact in our world because of our sin, they're undone. Our hope, our inheritance undoes the works of evil. Death is a work of evil. We know that our inheritance is uncorrupted and undefiled. You know, I was just talking to some people just a minute ago and even before the service. Um, you know, we're going into the sixth season. And I don't know about you, but I can, I can pretty much function through pretty much anything except for a sore throat. 
a sore throat will put me under y'all if i don't show up for like five days it's because i've got a sore throat anything else i'll be good with i hate having a sore throat sometimes i wonder what it was like for adam and eve when they after that because of their sin had been expelled from the garden and that perfect union with god the first time they ever experienced a sore throat wonder what they were thinking what were they experiencing defilement and corruption i wonder what it was like the first time that adam was walking through the woods and he sees a huge old oak tree that he always used to see trees in the Garden of Eden. All the trees always had green leaves on them. But for some reason, the leaves off this tree have fallen down and it's not fall time. And with a huge mighty groan, a huge oak tree comes crashing down and it's full of termites. And, and on its way down, it kills like five other young healthy trees. And, and what is he seeing? He's seeing corruption and defilement. I wonder what it was like for Adam and Eve when, they, when they're out working and they accidentally cut themselves and in their flesh they've got a, a swollen, red, hot, infected wound in their flesh. Defilement and corruption because of sin. And in heaven, our hope, our inheritance doesn't have any of those things because our hope and our inheritance undoes those works. So what God is saying to these Christians back then and to us now is that what He has reserved for us is untouched. It cannot be touched. It cannot be hurt. This will change your life if you get this down in your soul. And even 68 years, it was 68 years after the rule of Nero, after the fires in Rome. Uh, Nero was no longer the emperor. It was now a man by the name of Marcus Aurelius. And he too hated Christians. It's almost as if Christianity was true. You'd think if it was just some fake false religion that they wouldn't be murdering all the Christians if it was just fake. But for whatever reason, Marcus Aurelius is now going around persecuting the Christians and doing the same thing that Nero was doing. And it was a terrible time for the Christians. And there was this one Christian by the name of Justin. We don't know what his last name was. He's known in the history books as Justin Martyr or Justin the Martyr. And the reason is, is because he was martyred. He was killed for his faith. And he was a smart, bold man. And even these wicked, evil people that were persecuting the Christians, they would let Justin martyr. They just, I don't know what his last name was, but they would let Justin come to their meetings and their gatherings. He was an incredible apologist, and he would have just an incredible speaker, and he would make these claims for Christians and, 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 and make the case for why Christians should not be the ones being persecuted. It obviously ultimately ended in him being martyred for his faith, but before he was mar murdered for his faith, he wrote a letter to the emperor at the time and there's this famous line in the letter because all these christians were being killed but for whatever reason the church was growing incredibly in the time of this great persecution and in the letter that he wrote to the emperor he said you can kill us but you can't hurt us i think that's some of the sass that we could use around here you can kill us but you can't hurt us our hope, our inheritance is undefiled. It is uncorrupted. It is totally not impacted by the works of evil, by the works that you're doing. You can kill us, but you can't hurt us. And you say, Pastor Ben, how do we know that that's true for us today? Yes, that was true for the church in Rome. God was writing this letter through Peter for those people. How do we know that that's true for us today? Look to verse 5. It says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So if you're taking notes, number four, we are kept by the power of God through faith. So if you are here this morning 
and, and you believe that Jesus is who He said He is in Scripture, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God, that He is the way to heaven, and your proof of that belief is shown in your life. You, have, you bear good works in your life. You have turned from your sin by, by, by pointing your life completely different from where you used to be, and the proof of your belief is in those actions. You've seen, and that's in your life. You believe, you have faith. The very thing that keeps our inheritance or our hope that's not corrupted, not defiled, it's the power of God. The two components here is your faith and the power of God. So if we have faith as believers in Christ, proven in our lives and the good works that we do, showing that we believe that Jesus is who He said He is, so therefore we will repent and we will live for Him. The thing, the thing in action, keeping you and me with an inheritance where we'll go to a place someday where there is no cancer or disease or death or sadness or tears. It is the power of God. Nahum 1.5 says, The mountains quake before Him. The hills melt and the earth heaves at His presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. It is the power of God. You can kill us, but you can't hurt us. Why? Because it's our faith trusting in the power of God and it's the power of God keeping us in these things. Who we are in God is hope. The hope we have is according to God's abundant mercy. We never deserved it, never will, never can. It's His abundant mercy. Our hope or inheritance undoes all the works of evil. Everything that the devil would love to work in our life, it undoes all those things. And we are kept by the power of God through faith. You know, I've spent a lot of time in my life, just growing up and even in my adult life, I've spent a lot of time in a canoe. Has anybody been in a canoe? Like, a, spent a lot of time in a canoe. And uh, both for me, both predominantly fishing is the time when I'm in a canoe most of the time. And I've been, spent a significant amount of time in a canoe, both on still water and on moving water. And when you're on moving water, you're either going with the stream or against the stream. And when you're going with the stream, it's great. It's easy. I mean, you're just going with the direction the water's already going. But if work has to be done, to, if you have to go upstream, if something has to go in opposition to the way that everything is just naturally flowing, some of you know what that's like. You've got to paddle, and you've got to paddle really hard, and you don't go very fast, and you have to expend great amounts of energy just to not get very far, and it's not very fun. Can I just tell you this morning that being in the boat with God is our having faith. But the heavy lifting, the heavy paddling, going against the current of our sin, of all the things that you and I deserve, the heavy lifting has been done by God. The heavy paddling, the heavy work has been done by Him. And all He invites us to do is to be in the boat with Him by repenting, turning from our sin, being in the boat with Him. And the heavy work... The heavy paddling of the cross that you and I deserve. The heavy paddling of living a perfect life before God. Those things have already been done. When people have a legalistic mindset of who it is that God is and they feel like they have to work their way to God, they're fighting a battle that's already been won. He invites us to be in the boat with Him. And I certainly hope that everyone here this morning and everyone else joining us by podcast or YouTube or any of those other ways, I hope that you're in the boat this morning. Look now to verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, 
though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, for just that particular portion of text, when you're, and this is just a helpful tool for you, if you're looking to see what's really there, you say, okay, Pastor Ben, that all sounds nice, but what is it, what is it saying? What does it mean for us today? A helpful idea is sometimes, and we're not rewriting Scripture, but if you were to look at Scripture and, and to see what it's not saying, if you were to say the opposite of what it's saying, then sometimes the meaning can become a little bit more clear. So we could read it this way if we were to say it differently. We could say, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you may be grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, could be found not to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you don't love. Though now you do not see him, yet not believing, you don't rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your lack of faith, the absence of of salvation of your souls. So the two directions that we see here is if somebody does not have faith, and this sounds much like the world, somebody that does not have faith, they won't praise, honor, and glorify in Christ. They won't rejoice with joy inexpressible, and therefore they won't receive the end of their faith, which is salvation. Now, hear, hear me and hear my heart on this. Anytime from this pulpit when I'm preaching and I reference the world, being those who are outside not just this church but the church the church of god the bride of christ i want us to always remember that those people even though it can feel like they're the enemy those people are not the enemy they are victims of the enemy like you and i used to be so when we interact with people that may be wicked and vile in our minds, and may be truly wicked and vile, the thing to remember is they are not the enemy. They are victims of the enemy like you and I used to be. So when we interact with people in the world, how do you treat a victim of an enemy that you used to be? They are POWs and you used to be one. How do you treat them? With love, gracious compassion, with mercy and patience. Standing firm, yes, but love, patience, mercy, graciousness a loving guiding hand not an attitude of you're the enemy and i am not because we used to be who they are number five the result of our faith is the joyful expectation of salvation the result of our faith in jesus christ is the joyful expectation of salvation this is such a simple truth this is the message that charles spurgeon billy graham adrian rogers and the still living john piper john MacArthur, so many others that they preach that the expectation of our faith the whole point is the direction we're going to be with god in heaven that is the point it's it's not fame and fortune and wealth and all the things that the prosperity gospel would love for us to believe and that many famous pastors draw huge crowds with that is not the goal. The result of our faith is the joyful expectation that yes, even though we're persecuted under the rule of Nero, we're rejoicing in that what God has for us that is untouched by evil, it's our salvation. It's being with Jesus. It's being redeemed. It's no longer being impacted by this sin. It's being totally set free because of Jesus. Verse 10. Of this salvation, 
The prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who is in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. So here's what that's saying. It's saying that the prophets of old, the Old Testament prophets, the first half of the book of, 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 of the whole first half of the Bible that you have, the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, Nahum, all Habakkuk, all the other Old Testament prophets, when they were prophesying of Christ to come, when Isaiah, when God used Isaiah to put forth the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, when he's telling of all the things that Christ would be, what this scripture is telling us is that those Old Testament prophets looked at this with like, oh my goodness, what is this? This is, this is somebody coming and he's going to be like a lamb. It's, we won't have to sacrifice these animals anymore, but there's going to be one who's going to take away the sins of many when they trust in him. What could this be? Who could this be? What could this look like? And even it says that even angels desire to look into the same thing. That angels look down on you and me and they see well, these sinners, they, they've rebelled against God. Because the, the, the person, the being that they saw rebel against God last was Lucifer, who got cast straight down into hell. But, he's, but the angels are seeing you and me as sinners committing the same types of sin that the Lucifer did. But, but we are given this aid by Christ, that Christ would come and be among us and, and forgive us through His sacrifice that we deserved. And, and angels are looking at this with a marvel. What could this be? A salvation that, that, that God's people, the, He now calls them His people, they were rebelling, but... But He's made them like Himself when they trust in Him and, and they're raised to life. He, Jesus has the power. They know that Jesus has the power. They see Jesus every day and they know that He's got the power to, to take for death, to put, take, to put His life down, to pick it back up. That He could be put in the grave and it's no stress of His power to raise from life. But, but now Jesus has made way. King Jesus, the Master of Heaven, the Hero of our salvation. He's, he's, he's redeemed these people that were sinners. These are things that even angels desire to look into. Six, and lastly, all history revolves around God's redemptive plan. All history revolves around God's redemptive plan. You think that the persecution that the Christians suffered in Rome was just some stupid accident? No way. You think that the persecution that Christians are facing this morning in Sudan and Nigeria and Vietnam and North Korea and China and all the other places where you can be thrown in jail? You think those are just stupid accidents? No way. Just like it was for Joseph when he looked at his brothers and said, you meant this for evil, but God has intended it for good. You think 9-11 in America, should I bring it closer to home? You think 9-11 was some stupid accident? It wasn't. They intended it for evil, but God will be able to use it for good. All things are revolving, all history is revolving around God's redemptive plan. Would you stand with me and Brianna? I would ask you to come at this time. So my question to you this morning, and I'll, it'll be very simple. Where are you in God's redemptive plan? And that is a serious question. And I would certainly hope, as I'm sure all of us would, that you fitting into God's redemptive plan would not fit the mold that would have 
Nero and Marcus Aurelius and Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden and Hitler and all those people. Hopefully you're not fitting in God's redemptive plan in that way. But are you fitting in God's redemptive plan like maybe some of the other bystanders in Rome that weren't Christians that maybe agreed with the persecution? They agreed with Nero and his, his plan to persecute the Christians. They fit into God's redemptive plan too. But not in the way that I prayed that it would be for the people of New Covenant Community Church. My prayer for us is that we would fit into God's redemptive plan as being the ones who the Old Testament prophets thought of and thought, what is it that they are going to receive? Because it's different than what is here now. I hope that what you and I are recipients of is the kind of thing that angels desire to look into and say, what is it that they are receiving? God, Christ has made them raised to life with Him? How could that be? My prayer is that that is what's true for you and for me. And if you know that it's not, I invite you to to make that the case. Fit into God's redemptive plan and what He is doing by returning from your sin, repenting, and that being proof, the evidence of that and being made known by our works that show the world that we don't want to live like the rest of the world anymore. We want to live for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Your sovereignty and Your might, we could sit here and preach and be preached to for a thousand years and never even begin not even come close to the beginning of scratching the surface of your glory your might your power and your sovereignty but because of your abundant mercy and your graciousness you've shown us throughout history that you're working a plan And God, we are not the rulers and the maker of that plan. You are the King of heaven. We are not. So I pray we would find it in our hearts to be a part of your plan in the place where there's redemption and forgiveness. And that one day when every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that we would be a people whose knees have bowed to Jesus many times before whose tongues have confessed you many times before. What a gracious offer, an an extension of, of your grace and your mercy and your love that would offer us redemption when we follow you. In Jesus' name we do pray. And everybody said, Amen. Let's sing together.